Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read from Psalm 79, a psalm of Asaph. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Yahweh? Will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you, and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob, and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins, for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation we will recount your praise. This is the word of the Lord. The Babylonian exile, 587 B.C., seems to be the fitting context for this psalm. The challenge to that is that it is said to be a psalm of Asaph. And Asaph is one of the musicians appointed by King David back in the books of Chronicles. This could be a reference to it being of his sons, the sons of Asaph, although that's not specifically noted, or it could be a new Asaph, a different Asaph who lived a couple of centuries later but is named after a famous Israelite before him. That's not uncommon, not at all. I mean, even when you get to the New Testament, that's the way it is with Saul. The Apostle Paul, as we tend to know him, Paul was his Roman name, Saul was his Jewish name by birth. His parents named him after Israel's great first king. His Roman name Paul is named after a famous Roman general or commander that was from their same city of Tarsus. So anyway, whoever this Asaph is, 587 B.C. fits what he says, and it fits this hymn that he has written for us. The nations have come into your inheritance, the promised land. The land God was going to give to his people forever if they followed him, but they didn't. They rebelled. They rejected him. They worshipped false gods. And so the Lord brought judgment. The nations have come. The Babylonians have come from the east. 
technically from the north. They come over from the east, but they go around the top of the, the Sea of Canareth, and then they turn southward to attack. And Assyria had already done the same more than a century before to destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. So now the Assyrians have taken the north, the Babylonians have taken the south, and they've defiled his holy temple. I mean, more than defiled, they tore it down. They destroyed it completely. They took what they could, the precious gold and, and things. Some of it they left alone, like uh, the various cups and vessels. They just carted that off, whereas other stuff they melted down to take with them. They laid Jerusalem in ruins. And it would stay that way for over 70 years. This destruction happens in 587 BC. King Cyrus of Persia will be the one to defeat Babylon. Apparently in a quiet night raid where he sneaks into town and kills the standing king, a guy named Belshazzar. It's the only death uh, that's recorded in the whole event. And this is also recorded outside of scripture. It's recorded in in the history of the Greeks, for example, by Herodotus. Cyrus in 539 does that. In 538, he makes a decree that all the Jews living in exile in Babylon are free to go home, that they can rebuild Judah. Judah will be a Persian province, but they can rebuild it. Right? He wants his kingdom to thrive. He'll even pay to rebuild the temple of their god. The temple gets completed slowly and with a lot of opposition. And they're sent home in 538. The temple is rededicated to God in 515, 23 years later. And then it takes all the way until 445 BC, nearly 100 years removed, for Jerusalem's city walls to be rebuilt and the city to finally be complete at that point. And that's going to happen under the work of Nehemiah in one of the Old Testament books there. Jerusalem laid in ruins. And it continued to do so for over a century and a half. They, the Babylonians, have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food. It's not a difficult picture. It's not one that you necessarily want to dwell on for too long with your children, but it's the picture of battle. They came, they killed men, and they left them. They weren't buried. This picture is a picture of the end. This is a picture used in the book of Revelation as you get the threefold battle at the end of the world, chapter 16, 19, and 20. It's one of those latter two. Uh, where God is going to summon some of the birds to eat the flesh of the kings of the earth. As the Lord has conquered, the Lord is victorious. The flesh of your faithful given over to the beasts of the earth. So the birds and the beasts alike getting to eat because no one was there to bury them. So thorough was the destruction of Jerusalem. So they have poured out blood like water. Again, so thorough. You think of rain coming down. You think of uh, water flowing through a fountain. We see water everywhere. So they saw blood everywhere. No one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. And this is actually something that you see. That small book of Obadiah, one chapter long that most Christians probably haven't read. You see this very thing. The Edomites 
Jacob's brother Esau, his descendants, the Edomites, they moved south. They moved to the south side of the Salt Sea, and the land that they live in is called Edom, which is another name for Esau. They mocked. They looked on, and they laughed, and they taunted, and they jeered. They were excited to see Jerusalem fall. The prophet Obadiah writes against them because of it. God sends his word that they will be destroyed because they mocked Jerusalem. But verse 4 is true. The enemies, the neighbors, they did. They taunted Judah. They taunted the Jews. How long, O Yahweh? Will you be angry forever? This question is actually the, like the opposite of the question that's very similar to it in Re Revelation chapter 6 where the martyrs under the throne ask God how long until he avenges them. It's a good connection to make. But this is almost the opposite direction. How long, O Yahweh, will you be angry forever is a recognition that God is angry against Judah because of their sin. And so we do know the answer to the question, then, will Yahweh be angry with them over sin forever? The answer is no. He sends Jesus Christ and takes that away. He redeems his people by the blood of his own son. Now, this does allow us to ask the question, though. What do we wait for? Verse 5, how long, O Yahweh? We ask the same question. What is it we wait for? What is it we long for? And that would be the return of Christ. Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon. And we, as the church, we hold him to the promise. We remind him of his promise and we pray, Amen, come Lord Jesus, as often as we can. We trust that he told us the truth because he is faithful. We believe him to be true, so we look forward to his return. Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you. Is this a good prayer? It's a family conversation point. Do we pray against our enemies? And the Psalms, as you go through them, very clearly would tell us the answer to that question is yes. The Psalms are the prayers of the church. They are the hymnal of the Old Testament. They sang these for years, centuries, technically millennia because we're still singing them in, in many of our Christian churches to this day. The prayer against the enemy is, is a common thing in them. We also know to pray for our enemy. Love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, is the instruction of Jesus. So we do both. We pray that the Lord would not allow evil to exist forever. This is also part of his promise. How long, O Yahweh? He's going to snuff out evil. So Yahweh, keep your promise. Snuff it out. And in the meantime, let's try and save those we can from that fire. That's a little reference to the end of the book of Jude there. Let's, let's pray for their deliverance too, but also judgment. So Lord, bring your, bring your son back and make us faithfully proclaim your word until he comes that our neighbors may also know you. 
Now it's noteworthy with verse 6 as the psalmist prays that God would pour out his anger upon the nations that do not call upon his name. This is exactly why Jerusalem now lays in ruins. God has poured out his anger on those who did not call upon his name. They were the ones that were supposed to. They were the ones he had personally delivered. And they've rejected him. And then there's the prayer for mercy. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. The sins of our past. Asaph prays that they be forgiven. Instead, let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low, a reference to their exile. Captivity. Help us, God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us, atone for our sins, for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, where is their God? All of this is a point that Moses made to God in the wilderness. The context of the golden calf in Exodus 32, when God was prepared to snuff out Israel and, and keep his promise that he would make them into a great nation through Moses instead, Moses intercedes on the people's behalf and says, what would the neighbors think, basically? The other nations have heard of the great works of God. They heard how he did the ten plagues in Egypt. They heard how he drowned the Egyptians in the Red Sea. What good does it do to just destroy this people here? The nations will, will think that you lost control and that you just destroyed them in anger, and there will be no point. It would not witness well to the Lord's name. It's the same kind of approach Asaph makes here. Save us, deliver us, atone for us for the sake of your name, the glory of your name, that everybody may know what you have done, that everybody may turn to trust in you and repent of their evil ways. So again, we had the prayer in verse 6 to, for God to destroy his enemy, but verses 8 through 10 is the opposite in a way. It's the call for the enemy to repent. Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants. So, the nations, Babylon, have killed Jerusalem, the Jews. God's going to destroy them in response, and the nations all around will see it and repent. That's the goal. That's the aim. So it's a prayer that includes both, actually, in this very same psalm. And this is what Christ has done. Christ has delivered us. Christ has atoned for our sin. He has taken it away. To atone, the easiest way to define that to your kids is just to break it into its two syllables. At one. To atone for something is to make it at one with something. We were separated from God because of sin. Jesus atoned for us. He made us at one again. He put us back together. He restored us. Thanks be to God. He took our sin away by his blood shed on the cross for us by the outpoured blood of Jesus. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. So the, the Jews in exile, their prayers. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Preserve them, uphold them, keep them. Don't let them perish away from you. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors the taunts with which they have taunted you. Again, the book of Obadiah and God's judgment against the Edomites fits into that. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. Be good if they actually did. 
They've been destroyed because they didn't. But here, in exile, Asaph is repenting on behalf of the people. We see Daniel do that too, by the way. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's great prayer. Fantastic prayer. Give that a read. Worthwhile for teaching us how to pray. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. And yes, this is most certainly true. Here we are, many generations removed. I mean, even if you went every 30 years for a generation, it's been... 2,600 years here, so would that be quick math? It's almost 90 generations. And so we can rightly sing a psalm like this, rejoicing in God, calling upon him to keep his promises, calling upon him to avenge his people, but also calling upon him that he would bring people to repent, including ourselves, but all people, that they may know Christ, that their sins have been atoned for.